Good morning. Welcome to uh, Hanover Street Bible Church on this beautiful, beautiful spring Sunday. Uh, got a little bit of slush on the ground outside, a little bit of snow, but uh, we're grateful that you're here to worship with us today. So would you guys come to your feet this morning? We're going to sing um, and pray that God will build his kingdom in this place. Kingdom here and let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand and heal our streets and let set your church on fire. And when this nation fight, change the atmosphere and build your kingdom here. We friends put our hands together. Set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very soul. Oh, 
You know, when we sing, take this life and let it be all for you and for your glory, we are praying that Jesus would take control of our hearts and lives. I hope that's something that uh, you desire in your heart. You know, where the spirit of Jesus resides, there is no room for fear, guilt, shame, or any of the flesh. In this next song, we pray that Jesus would be the only name that our hearts would sing. So I want to begin this morning with a prayer, uh, if you'll bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, uh, we ask that you would reign in us today. Rule over our past hurt and sin and darkness. Bring us, Lord, into your light and renew us, O oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within us. Calm our minds and our anxieties. Lord, show us your goodness and faithfulness once again. We pray these things in your great name, Jesus. Amen. Let's ask that God would reign. Nothing good in me. You are love, you are love on this day for all to see. You are light, you are light when the darkness closes in. You are hope, you are hope, you have covered all my sin. Your peace, Lord. You are peace, you are peace. When my fear is crippling, you are true, you are true, even in my wandering. You are joy, you are joy, you're the reason that I sing. You are life, you are life, and you death has lost its sting. Sing, oh, I'm running, Lord. Head
spoken to us today, Lord, that you would reign in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, God. Make us more like you. We love you, Jesus. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're so glad you guys are here with us. Uh, Pastor John is taking a vacation, so we believe that he deserves a vacation, so we let him go for two weeks. So, but he's enjoying his time, and while he is on vacation, so we 
uh, we've been asked to come here and speak today, so thank you so much for coming. So, but anyways, um, bear with me. Um, I'm just uh, very excited to be here. It's a privilege every time that someone asks me to come and share with you guys. Uh, my name is Jezer Garcia. Some of you guys don't know we're a visitor, so I like to introduce myself every time. But um, I'm very excited to come and talk today. You know, um, there's some things that I've been thinking about. You know, I, I like to think about some of the things that are happening to me, happening to me in my life, and then I like to share about those things. And so I grew up in a place in Brazil where there is a lot of Italians and different people from different regions. And in that area where I grew up, people are extremely emotional. So Brazilians, they are very emotional already, but the region where I grew up was even more because there's a lot of influence by the Italians. And, you know, so we are very expressive where we came from, which is interesting to me because in, when I was learning English, I did not know to ask a question. You have to add what you call the auxiliary verbs. But in Brazil, when you ask a question, it's on your intonation, how you raise your hands, and you go like, what are you thinking, you know? So your face tells everything. So it's very interesting. So that's how I grew up, grew up with people around me. My wife can tell you that. So there's always easy to know what's going on in my life because I can show my emotions very, very, very fast. But sometimes, you know, when we are very emotional or we are not emotional, but we are creating emotional people, even if you don't show as much. And if we're not careful... Our emotions can take control of our lives. And uh, it's very interesting that someone did this survey, and I thought it was a very interesting survey, and they asked this question. And I want you to think about this question as I ask. What would you do if you knew you would never get caught and there would be no consequences? What would you do if you knew you would never get caught and there would be no consequences? Think about that. Now look at the person next to you. No, no. I was, and then share what you're, but the interesting thing is on this survey, they show that people said the weirdest things because why? Because we think a lot of the craziest stuff, right? We are always surrounded by those emotions and then we think of the weirdest things when people are not looking when there is no way for people to discover, we think of the weirdest things. So if we ask you to share today, the crazy stuff would come out. I ask that to my teenagers and youth group. And then some kids start raising their hands, you know, to share. But I don't want you to do that. So we all have potential to think, potential to think of the wild stuff. And what's interesting to me that we are expert in monitoring and taking care of our feelings and our thoughts. We, we, we learn very early that you have to monitor what we say, how we act in front of people. So we started to stuff and we start to monitor that behavior and only the good stuff comes out because we're good at that. We learn how to monitor our behavior in order to be responsible people. If we want to keep our jobs you know, we have to monitor what we say, what we think. If you want to keep a good relationship with your spouse, we have to monitor what we say, what we think. If you want to impress people, you have to be careful what you say. 
But I remember one time that I was trying to impress, and this is a very common thing that happens when you're getting to know your spouse or you're dating someone. I remember in Brazil that uh, me and Casey started to get to know each other, and then she invited me a couple times to go to, she used to live with two other girls, and she invited me to come over to have dinner. And she's always been an amazing cook. And she'll invite me over, and then she'll make, like, some kind of stuff with broccoli in it and other things, and then she'll give it to me. And I remember eating, and I'm like, this is delicious. It's so good. And I did that probably after the fifth time. I was noticing that every time she would put a broccoli in my food, and I don't know if it was a test, but every time I would say, oh, this is delicious. And later on, I told her, I was like, I just want to tell you this. I just hate broccoli. That is the worst food for me. I don't like it. But I want to impress her so bad that I, wanna, I, wanna, I wouldn't want to tell her. So I was just trying to be very careful what I would say because I, want, I didn't want to disappoint her. So we're very good at that. We're very good at monitoring what we say, right, how we behave. In fact, it's very interesting that we learn how to monitor our behavior, but we've never been taught to monitor our hearts. Have you ever thought about that? We've been taught to monitor how we say, what we do, but we've never been taught to monitor our hearts. In fact, I'm going to tell you something that is crazy to me. But not only we don't monitor our hearts, but our culture encourages us to follow our hearts. That is the number one thing I hear the most among teenagers. Follow your heart. Whatever makes you happy. And they're doing that to each other. So they tell each other and they say, follow your heart. Whatever makes you happy. Whatever your narrative, whatever you say that is good for you, just follow that. Follow your heart. And adults that do that the same, the same way. So we learn how to monitor what we say, how we act in front of people, but we don't monitor our hearts. We encourage people just to follow their hearts. And I ask you, is that a good idea for us just to follow our hearts? I'll say it all depends what's in it, right? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 17. He says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach, then out of the body, which you say, yeah, I know that, right? But verse 18, he says, but the things that come out of the person's mouth, this is the time that you're unguarded, some of the times that you're not careful, the things that started to come out, and the times that you say a joke that is too harsh, and the times you think you're joking, but in reality, you're serious. And some other times that you're not even guarding at all and you say something and you hurt somebody's feelings. So Jesus is saying this, but the things that come out of the person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. Not the things that come out, that come in, the things that come out. In verse 19, 20 says, for out of the heart, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what define a person. It's not what comes in. 
We think it's very important for us to monitor our behavior, but we're not careful with our hearts. But according to Jesus, that's where all goes. And eventually will come out. It's already in a person. What comes from the heart. It all begins with the thoughts. And sometimes begins with what you watch. What you expose yourself. And some of the other stuff. Some conversations that you have. Some people that are around you. Those are the things that come in the heart. Things that influence you. Things that you see. That influence you. If you're always watching politics, eventually you're going to be surrounded by that and it will be in your heart. And you're not going to even notice in some of the things that come out. I remember when I was a kid, me and my friends in the summertime, we decided that we were going to watch a movie, a horror movie. So I was 12 years old and it was summertime, so I went to a friend's house and then we were all hanging out. Didn't tell my mom at all. So I'm going there and we're watching this movie, right? So about 9.30, the movie ends, and it was dark. And to go to my house, we have to go through this corn plantation. So you can see where I'm going with this. We watch a movie that was about corn, okay? And people, scary stuff happening. So, and then my friend said, it's like, oh, you chicken, are you afraid now going home? I'm like, oh, no, I'm not, but uh, I don't want to go home by myself. Which... He says, okay, I think it would be really good if I, if I walked with you. I'm like, okay, so we'll do that. So he walks with me back, and we go through this corn plantation. We were running through it because we are racing, right? So then we go to the end, and this is close to my house. And as we get to the end of the corn plantation, we're about 15 yards from the gate of my house. He looks at me and says, now I have to go home by myself. <laughs> Which then, a 12-year-old you know, it works really great how their brain works. And I said, well, maybe I should walk with you back. And that way you're not walking back by yourself. I'm like, that's a good idea. So we go back. And we didn't realize after the third time we did that, that we were being idiots. So we decided, I decided to, spend, I called my mom. I'm like, mom, I think I'm going to spend the night here. And my mom was really mad, but she's like, that's okay. You know, it'll be okay. So I stay there, and I remember for the next uh, few hours, I couldn't sleep, and everything I would look at, it, it was whatever I watched. And not only that, that affected me tremendously for the next two years. No joke. I couldn't sleep. I had a lot of issues. And my mom started to notice my behavior changing, how I would have nightmares, and I would say things. And, I, you know, it was just I was, it, all those things were coming out. Until finally I had to tell her what happened. But see what I'm saying? If you surround yourself with things, eventually it's going to take over your heart. And I remember, you know, even, uh, and sometimes you, you, you say things like, Where, where's that coming from? And I remember my mom even saying this, like, you're having this behavior, what is it coming from? Which now I know it was from the heart. It was from the heart. And then later on, I had this girlfriend, and I was about 14, 16, 16 years old. And I was not a Christian, you know, and I, I met this girl, and we were going out. And we'd been going out for about a year. And, you know, I thought the world about this girl. And then one day, I was in front of her house, and then we were going on this very nice date. And, and she was dressed, she was just beautiful, 
gorgeous. And I remember as I came in, you know, I said, wow, you look amazing. So beautiful. And then she looked at me and said, I know. I know. And for that moment, I don't remember what bothered me at the time, but now I know. And I remember I was like, where is that coming from? I never noticed that. Which now I believe it comes from the heart. It comes from the heart. That was the last time we went on a date, by the way. We seriously broke up. I broke up because of that. But there's got to be something wrong about this girl. Which for us, we think about some of the things that we notice around our lives, and it's sometimes you say, where does that come from? It always comes from the heart. You know, I, I bought a th thing of Skittles here to illustrate this. I put a bunch of Skittles here, and if I shake this, if I do some little magic, trying to do a magic trick, it's not going to change what's inside. What determines What's inside of this jar, it's whatever we put it in. By shaking it, it's not going to change what's going to come out. It's still going to be a Skittle, which is more important. Anybody want Skittles? You got Skittles. Oh, are you serious? Sure. <laughs> I guess. Who's this child? But you see what I'm coming coming from, you can't expect good things to come out when you fill your life with bad things. And when you're not guarded, when you're unguarded, those things have started to spill out. And it happens to all of us. We can try trying to behave certain ways, but eventually it will come out because it is in the heart. Solomon says this, it's very interesting. He says, above all else, Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, Meaning, more than anything, forget all you know. I want you to remember this, the most important thing. Above all else, guard, guard your heart. Why? Because for everything you do flows from it. So Jesus said, Solomon said, guard your heart. What's in your heart, what's in my heart, eventually it's going to spill out. And especially... People around us, people close to us, the way we treat each other. Guard your heart. So now that we know that we should guard your hearts, there's a specific emotion I want to talk about. Remember in the beginning I was talking about emotions that take over. There's a specific emotion I want to focus today that usually control our hearts. And that's an emotion called guilt. Guilt. Guilt is a feeling that we experience when we've done something we know we shouldn't have done. It's a shame, a regret, a weight we feel when we've done something wrong. So it's a feeling we experience when we've done something we know it's wrong. Now, there is many kinds of guilt. Many kinds of guilt. There is one that's false guilt. And that one, to be honest, that's one of the most dangerous ones. Because that's the time that you're feeling guilt about something, but you actually, it's not guilty of anything. We all experience that type of guilt. And it weighs on us. It's the times that you're hard on yourself. I do that. I'm so hard on myself. Or sometimes accidentally, 
you hurt somebody's feelings. And then, and then you feel guilt about it. Or when people ask you a favor and you can't do it and you feel so bad about it and you feel guilty. Or when you accidentally break something that doesn't belong to you and you feel guilty. Or there's other times things are a little more serious, but you don't have a fault on that. It's times when you have questions about your faith. I've been hearing this constantly, which is heartbreaking. Sometimes it's been taught to people that if you have a couple questions about God, that means that you are agnostic. I'm like, where is that coming from? We have so many questions about God. He's so big. That's okay having questions. The key is look for answers. And with experiences with God, eventually, those questions sometimes don't even matter. But don't jump into a conclusion that you're agnostic just because you have three or four questions about God. And we feel guilty, feel guilty, and we start finding answers. And we say, we cling to those and, and saying, like, okay, now there's got to be something major wrong with me because I have questions. Or questions about life, something that happened to you, your family, and you don't have an answer for it. And you feel guilty because you're feeling like that. I remember one time that someone came in my office, and this guy came from, he comes in, and I'm working like just another day, and then he comes with a suit and tie, and he says, my name is so-and-so. He showed me a badge and says, and I work for Secret Service. Are you Jazzer Garcia? Oh. <laughs> right? And that moment, I remember, did we pay the power bill? Do we do you have any tickets standing, do, you know? Immigration, got to be something that I did before I came in this country. Did I do anything? Did I pay my bills? And I started going all those things. Which, for the next 10 minutes, he's talking to me. And I remember thinking the whole time those things. What did I do? Where, you know. And then he says, do you have a second? And we sit down and he's like, I said, do I have to call my lawyer? You know, I don't have a lawyer. But, you know, he's like, no, no, you don't have to. It would take a couple minutes. And, and I remember the next few minutes, all I hear is blah, 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 because I'm thinking about what I've done wrong. And then all I can remember, he said, I am doing a background check for a student that is applying for cybersecurity for us. Ooh, right? That waits, right? And I remember telling him, like, you have to introduce yourself, everything again, because I don't remember anything you said to me. Because the whole time, I was thinking about what I'd done. But, and he said, this is a favorite part of my job, he said, actually. <laughs> but we know, we have those guilt that we feel and it weighs on us. But I want to focus more on the real guilt. Those are the times that you've done something and you know you hurt somebody's feelings. Something you did in the past that it started to define you. It started to wait on you, and you don't know what to do. See, nobody likes to feel guilty. So in sometimes, instead of doing something about it, we kind of stuff away, don't we? We do that. We hide. We stuff away. Or sometimes we use a narrative, right? We use excuse. We, we minimize, or we're trying to justify that guilt by saying something like, oh, everybody was doing... I was only in my 20s when that happened. 
It was my first job. Come on, long time ago. My dad was doing, and then you started. My dad was doing, and his grandpa did that, and then his grandfather, and then Adam did. We go that far. And we're trying to use a narrative to excuse our behavior. And that guilt kind of got pushed away. When we give excuse, we minimize or justify guilt. Eventually takes control of us. And our hearts are affected by it. And it affects our balance. It affects our balance. It affects people around us. And a lot of times guilt, it creates this debt type of relationship with others. It's almost like you say, I owe you something. Have you noticed that when we feel guilty? It's, I owe you an apology. In a sense, we took something from that person. It's almost like we stole something from them. It could be even money or time, their childhood, reputation or self-esteem. But an interesting thing about guilt, we never experience guilt as a debt. Right? We experience guilt as a weight, as a weight that takes our balance, a weight that eventually throws us off. Because unresolved guilt, we have a lot of people that are unbalanced when they parent, or they overparent, or sometimes because there's guilt in their lives and they feel out of balance. They allow their kids to do whatever they want because they feel guilty because there's so much they've done in the past. They're like, who am I to say to my kid not to do it? See how guilt affects us? Affects us so much. We don't like to face guilt. And here's the tension for us. We don't like to face guilt because that makes us feel condemned. When we face guilt head on, it makes us feel condemned. Why? Because we can't undo it. We can't unsay something. We can undo unfaithfulness. We can't unwork too much and you can fill the blank. We can't undo the past and then we feel guilty. And guilt helps, uh, keeps us from moving forward. But there's good news. I spent a lot of time depressing you. Right? Sorry. But there's good news. He has to have good news. Otherwise, your whole guy's going to go cry. Me too. There is good news. There is a reason we spent all this time talking about this. You don't have to be defined by your past. You don't have to spend the season of your life denying your past either. Jesus offers a third option. You don't have to be defined by your past. You don't have to hide your past. But there's a third option, a different way to no longer be controlled by guilt, shame, or anger. Someone who experienced this option better than anybody tells us this. It's the Apostle Paul. And what I want you guys, we're going to read this passage, and, and, and what I want you to do when you're reading this passage is not to get all your knowledge about Paul as we read it. I want you to remember who Paul is. It's very important to us to understand who Paul is. First of all, his name was not always Paul, it was Saul. And this guy behind us, 
the words that we're going to read it. There's a man who is guilty than anybody, more than anybody here combined. The early part of his life, he became known as Saul of Tarsus. So he spent time of his life hunting down followers of Jesus so they could arrest, he could arrest them, have them tortured, imprisoned, or even killed. There's no questions that he had to deal with a lot of regret in his life, knowing that he had to remember the faces of the people that he killed or tortured. And not only that, he did that in the name of God. He did all those things in the name of God, innocent men and women. And he probably had to face the kids, the families. Can you imagine the guilt? Can you imagine all the burden he had? He had to face that. And still, God called him for amazing ministry. What makes this story amazing is that it doesn't, he doesn't distance himself from his past. He doesn't deny his past, but he documented his past. He put it in the Bible. That shows to you and me that we don't have to deny our past. We don't have to be afraid of our past. Jesus found him and offered a better option to deal with this guilt. Here's what he wrote. He wrote to the church of Rome, and here's what he wrote to you and me. What's interesting about that is this passage is in the chapter 8 of Romans. And if you read the chapter 7 of Romans, is exactly what I'm talking about. The church was suffering with guilt, suffering with the weight of the sin, and they're struggling. They couldn't move forward. There's so much that Paul was working with them and say, you guys are so afraid of being free from all this. And those people, they knew about God. They had a relationship with Christ, but they couldn't move forward because they remembered they were Roman. So they remember all the bad things they've done and they couldn't move forward. Here's what he says. Verse 1, Therefore, there is now, therefore, because he's talking about chapter 7, all the things you're guilty, all the sin that's waiting on you, therefore, there is now, meaning right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I want to keep just this part. We'll talk a little bit. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. A new day. A new era. God has done something amazing in my life. And there is a place. There is a place where your past. It's neither forgotten or condemning. It cannot be erased. But it can't be forgiven. There is now no condemnation. God himself. Is not condemning you. The verdict is not less condemning. It's not saying, therefore, there is a little bit of condemnation. It says, no condem condemnation. The word, it's a word in Greek called katakrima, which means totally uncondemned. No more condemnation. No more. And he says, which he can say, where is this place? where there's no condemnation. 
end of verse 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those, those who are in Christ Jesus. Where is this place that there is no condemnation? For those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to remember those who are in. That defines a position. When he says, for those who are in Christ, it doesn't mean those who are doing good things. It doesn't mean those who are behaving well. It means those who are in Christ. Those that actually surrender their life to Jesus and ask Jesus to come to them. So in Christ, it's a position, not a behavioral. No matter what happens, your position in Christ defines that you are not condemned. Not condemned at all. Since God does not condemn Jesus, he also won't condemn those who are in him. In him. But you have to surrender your life to God. And those who do that, they will stand uncondemned. Uncondemned. Why we know this is true. Verse 2 tells us that. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the power of sin and death. He sets you free. Through Christ Jesus, He sets you free from the power of sin and death. No more guilt. No more regret. You're not slave to sin anymore. Which you might ask, how? How is that even possible? I'll tell you why and how. Verse 3 says, For what the law was powerful, powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. What does that mean to us? You know what the law does? The law can guide us, can teach us, can set a high standard, but it has no power to free you from your sin. For God, he raised with the Ten Commandments and other commandments a very high standard, which for us, for him actually, it's very low. It's the lowest he can go for standard. But for us, because we're weak, it's a really high standard. And the only thing that the law can do is point out to us that we can't follow the law. It doesn't have any power to free us. The law sets a standard. And once we fail, you only condemn us and punish us. You don't set you free. But Paul discovering his own life, that God offered something bigger than the law. Verse 3, he says this, For what the law was powerless, I'll continue, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son, a perfect son, who was guilty of anything, in likeness, of simple flesh to be a sin offering. Isn't that amazing? The law could not save you and me. 
you only could point out that we're nothing without God. They make us feel guilty and condemned. But God did this amazing thing, but he sent his own son, a perfect son, who has no guilt, has no guilt, who became sin for us and died on a cross for our sins. He walked on earth. He did amazing things. He was a loving God, but more than anything, he died on a cross for your sins. He became sin. A perfect son became sin for you and for me that we can have eternal life. How amazing. God is saying, church, you don't have to be feeling condemned. When you accept what Jesus Christ has done for you, there's no condemnation. Once and for all, you are not condemned. You're guilty, still guilty, but not condemned. Why? Because Jesus took upon himself all our guilt, all our shame, all our sins. And when he died on the cross, he died with him. And when he rose again, he had victory over death. That you and me can have salvation through him. But he had to condemn something. End of the verse 3 says this. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Sin was condemned in the flesh of Jesus as he took our condemnation. That we deserve. You know what that means? It means that God condemns sin. That's in you. But you are guilty free. There is no condemnation. It means that God condemns the sin that's on us. The guilt that is in us. But he does not condemn us. Because Jesus took all the condemnation on the cross. And the question I have for you is, are you in Christ? Because if you are not in Christ, you are condemned. But if you are in Christ, you are not condemned. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean to us? All this theology, what does that mean? It means that you are no longer allowed to condemn yourself to punish yourself. You are not allowed to condemn yourself anymore. Because you are not yours to condemn. You belong to Jesus. And you can't condemn yourself. And if you're condemning yourself, you're making yourself bigger than God. Because God himself is not doing that. People might try to do that. But you have to remember that God himself does not condemn you. Number two, you, your guilt will remind you, but it will not define you. When you feel guilt about your past, you've got to remember that is a pivot point. Where there's transformation. So your past, your guilt will not define you. It will remind you, but not define you. Number three, you don't get to condemn others for their mistakes. Why? Because that makes you a hypocrite. He's not condemning you. 
so you shouldn't condemn others. So number four, you are free to make things right with the person you hurt. Because you know what Christianity is not? We accept the forgiveness of God and we don't ask for forgiveness for what we've done to the people that we hurt. Before I come up here, I have to make my life straight with God. I had to make a couple calls. If you got my call, it's probably because I've done something against you. But if you didn't get my call and I've done something against you, you can see me later. I had to call a girlfriend that I had 20 years ago. And I told her, I'm sorry for not treating you respectfully. And I'm sorry for what I've done. But I told her, I don't feel condemned. I just need to apologize for that. And that weight just went away. You are not condemned. If you are in Christ Jesus, your past will not define you. It did not define Paul. I want to pray for you. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. We thank you so much for being so good to us. And I pray that we surrender to you. We give everything to you. And if it be anything that keeps us from having this relationship, this freedom that we have in you. We want to surrender to you. And for those who are not in Christ yet, I pray in the name of Jesus that they accept you as a Savior and decided today to follow you. We thank you for everything that you've done. We thank you for the forgiveness. We thank you that we can walk without condemnation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jezer. Those were powerful words. And um, before we uh, before we close out here this morning and, and we sing this last song, I just want to remind you that there is a, a senior uh, luncheon today after the second service. So uh, please attend that if you are a senior. Stick around. And um, there's supposed to be uh, a video, right, or some sort of a, a thing from um, Galen this, this, this afternoon, too. So, uh, so please attend that if you can, and um, let's uh, stand as we, as we leave today. I want to remind you what it says in this song, what Jezer was talking about, um, that we are now not condemned in Christ Jesus. And, and it says in this song that I am who you say I am. Um, we are who God says we are, not who we think we are, not who other people say that we are. So I want to close out today with this encouragement as we go. I that the highest king would welcome me. I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Oh, the sun sets free. Oh, it's free indeed. I'm a child.
God bless you as you go. Have a great week.